0: Superintendent. Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 12 of Off the Course, the podcast that dives into the everyday lives of superintendents, agronomy directors, and other turf heads. I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined today by Sean Emerson. Sean is the longtime director of agronomy at Desert Mountain Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. He is also an enormous baseball fan. Sean grew up a fan of the Baltimore Orioles in the 1960s and 70s when manager Earl Weaver was teaching the Oriole way. He went on to play collegiately at American University and he even coached and scouted for a while before following his father, the legendary superintendent Bill Emerson, into golf. He still follows the game today, especially the University of Sioux Falls Cougars, for whom his son Jacob is a pitcher, and the Oakland A's, whose pitching coach for the last four seasons has been Sean's younger brother, Scott. We talk about how he applies baseball lessons to course maintenance and people management, how he blends old school scouting with new school analytics, and who might win the World Series at the end of these strange MLB playoffs, which we'll start later today. Before we get into the conversation, my thanks to AquaAid Solutions, the title sponsor of Off the Course. AquaAid Solutions, a leader in innovative solutions for nearly 40 years. Their desire to lead and innovate for turf managers continues with their current research collaboration with Dr. Jim Brosnan of the University of Tennessee and Phenotype Screen Corporation. Through that collaboration, utilizing x-ray technology, Turf managers are provided a definitive look into how Worm Power Turf provides a more robust root system that has more mass and deeper roots than a plant not exposed to the product. Visit iwantdeeproots.com, iwantdeeproots.com, to see the groundbreaking research and the value Worm Power Turf brings to your agronomic program. After the break, Sean Emerson. My guest again on this episode of Off the Course, the legendary turf head Sean Emerson of Desert Mountain Fame, been there for decades and decades. Desert Mountain was the subject of last year's construction and renovation issue, uh, the cover story, betting on Bentgrass. Sean and the Desert Mountain team were renovating Renegade at the time, one of the six courses and building 7, the seventh course uh, on the property there. Beautiful, beautiful short course, but today we're not so much going to talk about that. We'll, we'll hint on what Sean and his crew have been up to over the last 12 months since I last had the chance to hang out with him, but a lot of this talk today is going to be about baseball. Growing up an uh-huh. Orioles fan, uh, growing into a baseball family, Sean's brother is the pitching coach for the Oakland A's, his son comes up with random stats, and we're going to talk playoffs, uh, which will be starting here uh, very shortly. Before any of that, though, Sean Emerson, welcome to the superintendent radio network and off the course. How are you doing? What's going on out there?
1: You know, I'm doing really well. Uh, it was a, a very hot summer out here in Arizona. 57 days. Uh, we had over 110. So I guess someone who put grass on their golf course and changed it to cool season, I I picked the toughest year to do it, and <laughs> and my team pulled it off and it. You know that—that's what really makes me proud is the proudest is the team. So I don't know if we want to do it again, but we've got it done this year.
0: I don't know many people who could handle renovating one course while building another course simultaneously. The sand and the trucks alone uh, coming up to your site there in Scottsdale—just incredible.
1: Yeah, I think they told me there was, you know, eight hundred eighty over eight hundred eighty thousand tons in one course. And then you got the normal green. So logistics was very important. Let me tell you that, and it went well. And you got to have a good plan, and and then you got to be able to adapt. You know, that's the one thing. That, you know, you, we're going to talk about baseball and and everything today in baseball and today in life. You have to be able to adapt. And in baseball nowadays, they adapt pitch to pitch, hitter to hitter. You know, and golf, maintenance. I don't know if it's going to be hot, cold, or what. You've got to learn to adapt, and I think that's the secret today.
0: You grew up a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, and you were born in 1963, so your first 23 years of life, you had 22 winning seasons as a fan. You don't remember all of them, obviously. Seven division championships, six pennants, three World Series, and those great Earl Weaver teams, there was the old formula, 3RHR, plus GPG equals W, three-run homer, plus a good-pitched game equals a win. And I was just reading a piece by Tom Verducci about uh, the great Sports Illustrated writer about some of the old truths or old wives' tales in baseball that aren't true anymore. And one of those is first-inning ERA always used to be highest, uh, whether it was true or not. And this year it's not, whether it's because of empty stadiums or climate change, who knows, or just advanced scouting, getting better scouting on guys. What are some of the things that you grew up with as a fan that are just totally gone now, You know, being a fan of the 60s and 70s and 80s?
1: Well, you know, um, look at the batting average, Mendoza line. Remember that? If you Mm -hmm. batted under 200, you were terrible. Well, now you have all-stars hitting under 200 because now it's more important about OPS which means driving in runs. Or you can go two for ten, but if you hit two home runs, that's a plus. And the great players of Lou Brock, who just passed away, Rod Carew, they would not be great players or Tony win today because they have soft contact. So we've reevaluated, you know, what's important, and baseball's made that change. Talk to my brother that you could go three for ten, but if you don't drive anybody in, you don't get a double, you don't score, that's a useless uh, stat. So batting average, they don't even look at anymore.
0: Right. Productive at bats, productive outs for that matter.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I grew up, runner on second, less than two outs, you advance the runner to third base. You know, you hit behind the runner. Now they're trying to hit it over the fence every time. So, you know, I think that, I don't know if the ball, I think the ball has changed, Mm -hmm. but bats have changed and they hit it farther and they throw it harder, but Fundamentals have changed a little bit, and, and like I said earlier, you got to adapt. And uh, I grew up with defense, hit the cutoff man. You know the Baltimore—that was the Oriole way. You played defense, you sacrificed, you moved runners over. You played good defense. Mark Belanger hit 200, but he never made an error short. Brooks Robinson, maybe the all-time greatest third baseman. I could name the whole lineups all the way through my, like you said, all these careers. Pitching, four 20-game winners twice, McDowell, Cuellar, Palmer, and Dobson. I mean, I'll never forget that the rest of my life.
0: I love that you say you can rattle off all the lineups because I've heard you do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Andy Etcher-Baron, Elrod Hendricks catching, Boop Bow, David Johnson, and I could tell you who replaced them. Eddie Murray came in. Mm-hmm. Bobby Griggs started with the Orioles, Don Baylor, Paul Blair. I mean, I, I can say those names as easy as I can say anything because that's who you were and you, you identified with those guys year after year.
0: What was it like growing up with those Orioles teams? And you were in a sporting household. Your dad, of course, a legendary, legendary figure in the industry. So you had an athletic background and a, and a sporty household, but what was it like growing up with those teams cheering for those teams at that time?
1: Well, they also, the Colts were great. Sure. You know, John Unitas and those things. So, you know, it was, uh, and the Orioles had, you know, one of my greatest days was my, the Orioles, we lost to the Pirates in the World Series and Roberto Clemente's last game. And But what it was was you became them you, because they just played baseball the right way. And that's what you took Chuck Thompson as the, the announcer. And so it was like everything. And you, you didn't like the Yankees because they were the Yankees. You didn't like the Red Sox because they were the Red Sox. You know, um, Robin, you when he became a brewer, I didn't like the brewers and the wall bangers and so all that stuff. It was kind of like a culture and you identified your personality. And I think I, my life was built on being an Oriole. Even to this day, I, even though my brother's the pitching coach of the Oakland A's, which I watch him all the time, I still have to click on an Oriole game and, and watch the Orioles and just and reminisce. I just was enthralled to watch the game, to remember your childhood and then all the good things that you just did.
0: You took all these lessons, all of these Earl Weaver lessons, these Oriole Way lessons. At what point did you start to incorporate them into your own life, not even necessarily your professional life, because I'm sure you, you put them in ahead of time before you started working. But how did you incorporate that into to everyday life growing up, Sean?
1: I think I started when I was 11 or 12 years old playing baseball and, and doing things fundamentals. I kept remembering my dad saying it and repeating it and, then, uh, you know, and, and just making sure that I did the same thing every day and, that, I, I just think it started at the very beginning because, and it, they were happy and, and things like that. I think that that's what's wrong right now is that we don't identify with that player. You know, if you grew up in Pittsburgh, you were a stealer, and you you know defense and, and you know those types of things. Well, in Baltimore, it was all about pitching. And so, what's pitching? Well, pitching is throwing strikes, get ahead, be aggressive. You know, uh, keep the hitter off balance. If hitting his timing, pitching his, setting the batter off timing, you know. So all these things I just started realizing, and then you make adjustments. So I think I started at an early age, and I've never forgot them. I mean, that's the thing, the beauty of it. I've never forgot the Oriole way.
0: Did you start to take some of those lessons professionally, though? Again, you've built up this system at Desert Mountain where there are seven courses and everybody on the crew Mammoth crew is trained just in doing things a certain way you know you can go to Renegade you can go to 7 you can go to Chirkawa, you can and and it's all the the same general steps it's not like you have different maintenance practices on different courses is that something you picked up uh as a kid and just incorporated into Desert I, Mountain
1: Absolutely because you know, you take a guy in and he's a rookie, so you teach him how to do it, break a bunker. Well, how to field a ground ball. Then you take him into the next step, well, how to mow something. Well, you know, then that how to hit a cutoff man, how to run the bases. So I, I learned really early in in the Orioles, it was about development. You took a player back in those days, you got him in all the draft, you, you developed them in four or five years they were good enough to make the team and then go through it and you taught them how to do it and the right way, and the Oriole way in that situation. The Yankees, well, they always get the big-time free agents, and they bring in players, and chemistry was different. You know, the Bronx Bombers in 1977, when they, you know, you hear all that stuff. But the Oriole way was about organization, developing players, and then getting the most out of everybody. And I think it, it led into the new philosophy of Billy Bean and the Oakland A's it really was about doing doing what you can for your team and building a team you know I talked to this the other day I have 180 play, 180 excuse me people that work with me at Denver Mountain and you know you have your a a employees B employees C employees the C employees are the most important employees you got because you're only as strong as your weakest link in a chain right so you got to develop that player that you know maybe he only goes one for four at the, at the plate he doesn't make any errors the productive outs that we talked about advancing the runner with, uh, from second to third with less than two outs so you can next guy get a sack fly all those things I just that's what I was taught and I just believed them and I just incorporated it in everything I do
0: in terms of you playing baseball uh, your brother obviously made it a little farther than you did and we'll, we'll talk about him in a few minutes but how, how long did you play when did you stop playing? Was it high school? Or was It early? It was early college, wasn't it? No,
1: I, I went to college. I I, uh, I get on my brother, who is a professional baseball player,
0: and I get on my son.
1: I got a scholarship on two Division One sports. I played at golf at American University and baseball. So I got to about a sophomore and junior year in college and, and was a D1 player. Not a very good D1 player, but I made it, <laughs> you know. I was the bucket guy, you know, and, uh but that was okay. I thought that my coach in golf told me, Sean, you shoot 75, and anybody who shoots over 75, I'm going to yell at. You know, I was like the, the standard that the Medoza line, that you better beat Sean, because if you don't, you're not very good. And then in, when, I, when I was in college, I played golf on the weekends, and I would pitch in the middle of the week, in the games against like Georgetown, Catholic, or, Towson State. My job was to get through six innings and less than three runs. That was my job. So I had reasonable expectations from my coaches and I kind of just set the bar there. I knew I was not a superstar player.
0: And what was the what was the end of the career? It wasn't an injury, it was just kind of petering out and, and hitting your plateau at twenty, twenty one years. Yeah, long.
1: to be honest with you it was grades in college. I, you know, I was all of a sudden paying more attention to baseball and golf and not my school. And <laughs> my my dad came to me and said, listen, you you got you to gotta start paying attention. And, and I started looking farther down the road because I knew I was going to be a good player. I looked at being a coach in baseball and all, and at the time they were paying like 17000 18000 and I just thought, nah. And then I saw my dad making some pretty good money back then, fifty to 75000 And I just thought, well, I'll go to golf. And that's how I did it.
0: I don't think we talked about that when we hung out for a few days last fall. We talked a lot about baseball, but I didn't know that you had, before getting into golf, you you had entertained the option of becoming a baseball coach. What level was that?
1: Well, I actually coached uh, the high school teams in Arizona. Coached my brother. Coached some great travel teams, you know, all star teams, and uh, I actually did some what they call bird down, bird dog scouting for the Orioles and the Padres, looking for players. Uh, So I I was, and I got an offer to coach junior college baseball. So I was really getting into it, but I just didn't think uh, I I could do it a long time, long term. And I didn't like to travel. And so that was kind of one of the reasons I settled in golf.
0: Considerably more travel, unless you're a PGA Tour pro, considerably more travel in baseball than there is in golf, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, and... But I loved it, and I coached my son, coached high school players. I think I got – I won the first two Arizona Summer Collegiate ter- Championships. I think I got nine nine or ten guys that I uh, played in the major leagues. Uh, Paul LaDuca hmm. was one of them. And, you know, just different guys, Bobby Hallery. Yep. Uh, just guys that I coached, Paul Conerko, Just guys that I coached with, and and they made it all the way.
0: Some familiar names to baseball fans of a certain era.
1: Yeah, yeah, most of those guys now. It's kind of funny. I'm out there coaching my son, and these guys, these are guys that I, I I'm coaching against kids, guys that uh, their sons are out there right now playing.
0: As an Indians fan, Paul Konerko, for the record, just annoyed me for so many years. But if I had <laughs> never moved from Chicago, he would have probably been my favorite player.
1: Yeah, he was. Two years younger, my brother. Okay, Coached him on the Firebirds. Catcher went to chaparral high. Hmm. Kid could hit. I mean, the kid could flat-out hit. And he, always, and he hit the rest of his life.
0: The White Sox have a bunch of statues on their outfield walkway at whatever it's called now, guaranteed rate fields. It's not Comiskey, but essentially Comiskey. And I think he has a statue. I think he has a statue at the ballpark there.
1: Yeah, and he's got a... Uh, he does a lot of, what, what I really love about baseball, being in Arizona, is you see a lot of the ex-players helping other kids and, you know, if their kids on a team. So that's the one beauty that out here is you get to see them now giving back to the game. That's one thing you see in golf and in baseball is people who've made it trying to help other people make it.
0: You coached your brother when he was younger. You coached. Your, son, your son's still playing, right? He's, uh, is he a sophomore in yeah. college?
1: Yep, yeah, he's up in Sioux Falls. I'm actually right. headed to the airport to see him. He's up at the University of Sioux Falls. He's on uh, Scott Crowd, a good friend of mine, was superintendent in Superstition Mountain. They play together. And Scott and I uh, worked together 1990 to 94 at Desert Mountain as superintendents and assistants. Kind of lived on the opposite side of town. Our kids would play baseball and. Now uh, he's going with me, right now. So thirty years later, we're going to watch our sons play baseball, and we talk more about baseball than we ever do about overseeing and prepping a golf course. You know, uh, we sit there and in, in our lawn chairs and lean back and 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 really relax and watch baseball. And and I think we've learned one thing: we don't second guess the coaches, like because we know how members second-guess us about how we take care of the golf course we just sit there and (laughs) relax at the end of the day we either go have a beer we go have a cheeseburger chicken wings or ice cream it all depends on how the game ended
0: it's always easy to second-guess the manager and it's always easy to second-guess the superintendent but you're rarely going to be right in either instance
1: yeah yeah people don't know you know what's going on and you know and and things like that so I, you know, that's the one thing I'd have to say is that the baseball has taught me. And, you know, you play another day. Golf the same way. I mean, some days we have great days. and But other days you just you go play another one. And that's the most important thing is be ready to go play the next day. My dad used to tell me a, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a genius learns from others. My brother talks about all the time setting the batter up. You may pitch this guy with fastballs in the first inning, first at bat, and then you got to make the adjustment. I don't know if you know this, but when you face a guy the first time, you probably average in the major leagues like 220. You face the guy the third time, the average is like 330. Mm-hmm. That's why they come up with these openers, and they take these guys out. That's why baseball is so much harder now. They just go to the bullpen. When I, when I grew up watching the Orioles, Palmer pitched 8-9 innings. You didn't want to go to the bullpen because that guy wasn't as good as Jim Palmer. Well, today you want to get to the bullpen because those guys throw gas. And so you kind of want to get there. And the starter is just like, ah, five, six innings, get to the guy at the end. It's kind of interesting to watch the seven-inning games, huh? Now the starters are only going three or four innings. They want to get to the end of the bullpen.
0: If I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I probably would be Sick of seven inning games by now? I don't think the Indians have played a doubleheader yet. I don't know that I've actually seen my my favorite team play a seven inning game yet this year.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's different. Uh, my brother said, "Well, we got a little problem. Our our, our uh, we give up a lot. All our runs that we give up are in the first three innings, <laughs> and all the runs we scored are in the eighth and ninth. And now we're only playing seven. So they had to put a sign in the dugout. I think it's said it's the third inning, you know." <laughs> You know, so it's an adjustment, right? It's an adjustment.
0: Your brother, by the way, uh, Scott Emerson, you're about eight years and change older than he is or or thereabouts. Uh, If folks don't know, been the bullpen coach of the A's, uh, I think that was 2014 to 2017. I think he became the pitching coach. Was it right around the All-Star break in 2017?
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: So, you, you know, brothers, you talk... A fair bit, and he's busy, and you're busy, but what is, the, what is the conversation like when you talk? Is it 50% baseball? Is it 10% baseball? Or, or how much baseball do you guys talk?
1: Uh, he just got into golf. He never played golf until he got <laughs> into baseball. And so he's always calling me about golf, and I'm always calling him about baseball. So it's about 50-50. Um, he's asking, why do we do this? Or he played golf. He can't hit a wedge. It's the driver like 320, but he gets 80 yard. He doesn't know how to finesse it. And, and also try to help him there. Um, so it's kind of funny. But, you know, but what we talk most about is managing people. Okay. You know, he says when you're a pitching coach, I don't work for you, you don't work for me, we work together. And I learned that from him with people and and things like that. And And the other most important thing I've learned is You have to make the adjustment. It's easier for me to change and adjust than expect 175 people. Well, my brother's nine. He's got 13 people on his pitching staff. He's got to talk to everybody a little bit different. And he's got, you know, and works on the individual. Like Mike Friars, he told me, you know, they came up with an analysis, and they tell him now what percentage of fastballs he should throw. Somebody else, what percentage of. You should throw more two seams fastball versus four seams. So now it's being broken down individually. And that's the difference. I think what my son created, we talked about stat within a stat.
0: That's right. Okay,
1: well, you swing and miss. Well, did you swing and miss over the ball or did you swing and miss under the ball? Well, that'd be a different stat. So Matt Olson right now is swinging 40% under the ball. Does that mean something's changed in his swing? When he's hitting good, he swings under the ball. You know what I mean? So all that now gets juggled and and put into formulas.
0: And I love that that stat, or at least that little nugget of of recognizing it. Your son was 19 when he came up with it, and it got a shout-out on the A's broadcast last season.
1: Yeah, he's kind of good friends with Dallas Braden, so Dallas speaks out and stuff like that. And, you know kind of funny I compare golf I just had a seminar with the Syngenta people yesterday and they were telling us about predictor models for diseases you know temperatures this this is that so the the chances of having dollar spot is this well that's what baseball is now everything's kind of getting into these predictor models you know my brother talks about well okay but you don't talk about a pitcher pitching his third day in a row in the bullpen his velocity might be one one mile or two miles an hour below. So does that change? Well, now they're working on that. What's your statistic on your first day pitching, and what, compared to third day pitching in a row? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and pitches now, he's got certain guys. They get over thirty five pitches in a the bullpen, they're done. Their efficiency goes down, and so everything now is broken down. And but the most important thing is observation. I still think the human eye and the feel is still the most important thing, whether it's on a golf course or on a baseball diamond. All you're doing with the statistics is confirming what you probably thought anyway.
0: Maybe one reason why the A's had such a better season than the Astros, who got rid of their entire old-school scouting department and turned completely to analytics, the A's, early adopters of analytics, still have – Physical scouts, you blend old school and new school.
1: Yeah, they, the A's do a great job. Uh, uh, my understanding and what I know of them, and that's what my brother's really good at is both. He grew up with the old school, the Oriole way, you know, getting pounded, but then he uses the new technology to do that. Well, I, I think I do the same thing on the golf courses. I walk on the green, say, well, this is a little soft, or this is a little whatever wet or and then then i go get the instruments of today the pogos and the field scouts and true firms and then i then i reconfirm what i was thinking and so um, i think if you're i think the older superintendents still have a great value because they have that ability to do that if you go 100% technology I, i think you'll lose your feel feel to me and the eyes are still the most important thing
0: you've also embraced analytics more than i don't want to say anybody in the industry but you're you're certainly at the forefront or near the forefront and a previous guest on off the course late last year uh, was one of your newer hires kenton brunson uh brilliant brilliant mind for numbers and and facts how have you incorporated him and how have you incorporated analytics even more into, into everything that you do?
1: Well, it's, it, it, for every action, there's a reaction. And we want to be more predictable. And so, you know, we measure clipping yields. That tells us how long our fertilizer is really lasting. We use the soil moisture meters, how many days that we can get. And we feel a lot more confident. I still go to my gut a lot, and, and I'm working with Kenton. And the other younger guys that you know use the instruments, but but get a feel, you know, and then try to see if you can uh, match that. Curtis Tyrell at Desert Highland is great. Scott Kreutzer at Whisper Rock, guys that work for me. Mike Gracie in California. Bill, Ch- all those guys are, are a blend. Now some guys, some guys do more one way, you know, more analytics to to feel, but they. I, I, I really believe you got to incorporate that. You know, uh, game film, football, how many hours does guys watch game field to see tendencies, you know, and same thing. And is there a tendency that I do on the golf course that maybe I should make an adjustment? I, I think we were creatures of habit. So I'm, I'm trying to learn that why did I make that decision and then evaluate it from there.
0: In terms of figuring out why you do things and, and how you do things, you don't necessarily have cameras on yourself uh, as if you were a pitcher uh, anymore, but you do have cameras and, and other kind of tech all around the course. You you were an early adopter as well of monitoring every single hole on the course and, and yeah. getting various statistical uh, information from that too, right?
1: Oh, yeah, the drone technology that's out there and cameras. You know, taking a camera the old-school way, you know, you take a picture and compare it. and then. So, no, I, I think that uh, all this is coming. I mean, John Deere Toros, they're going to have, because they're going to to autonomous someday, they're going to have cameras on the mowers because you're going to have to look at them. And we're tracking our mowers now, speed, how fast the wheels are
0: spinning and
1: all this stuff. And then, um, so I, I think that that's coming. I think you're going to see golf carts with, are going to have, you know, coverage on there and, and uh, there's going to be sensors on a cart or a mower to tell you how much moisture's in the ground. All that's coming. I'm embracing it, but I, I want to go back to the 1971-70 Orioles and, and still go back to the Oriole way. It's just a different adaptation to that way or change. But I want to go back to you got to throw strikes. I don't care. My brother says this. Whatever statistics you come up with, if you don't throw strikes, 64% in the major league, you're not any good. And then if you can't hit your spot, you know, and the most important pitch is the one you don't want to throw a strike on. You know, if you've got to get a guy to move off the plate a little bit on the inside, you got to get it in there so he it's a ball. So you have to have command, not just control, command. Well, the same thing on a golf course. we gotta, we got to understand what we're doing. And then if I'm fertilizing, what's my results for fertilizing? If I'm watering, what's too much and what's not enough? So all that, to me, goes back, back to 1970 Baltimore Orioles. That's my favorite year. They beat the big red machine, Johnny Bench, Lee May, Pete Rose. That was my greatest memory in sports
0: whenever we all have a chance to get back together for live events and shows, I look forward tremendously to, whenever you do one, a presentation blending baseball and course maintenance and analytics and feel, because I think it would be tremendous, and I think it would be well attended as well.
1: I think the thing I i talked to a friend of mine one time, we were going to put my brother and myself together, and we were going to, Debate ourselves, <laughs> you know how you know and and how because that's what we do right now. I I may tell him one thing and he's like, ah, oh, you're not thinking about that or, um, you know, you know they're going into what the and think about golf now. I saw Phil Nicholson walk in the fairways in a practice round with a launch monitor. He's 50 years old, mm-hmm. you know. And my I asked my brother, well, what do you mean by launch angle? He says, well, that that's an up that's an uppercut swing. You know what I mean? You know. So now that the baseball player is doing an uppercut, what do pitchers need to do? Well, they need to throw the ball up in the zone. And so the low ball, the sinker, the four, uh, that pitch is not as effective anymore on, the, on that uppercut. So now the pitchers are throwing up. That's why the high spin's good because a high spin in baseball on the fastball, the ball does, it, it holds its line longer the batter doesn't anticipate they anticipate the ball dropping a little bit and that's why you know like jim palmer was, oh, he threw a riser ball doesn't really rise it just holds its line longer so they pitchers had to make the adjustment so you'll see more pitchers throwing up in the zone in the playoffs than down in the zone on certain on certain hitters and that's the adjustment they, they had to make and the reason they do a curveball is because the ball comes out of the same hand the same way, but you think it's a fastball, and then all of a sudden it drops. So that's, that's one of the things they call it, tunneling now in baseball, yep. meaning that the balls all look the same, about 50 feet in front, and then all of a sudden they change. And that's how they get the batters off balance.
0: And if there are folks listening who are not totally engrossed in baseball, uh, 60 feet and 6 inches from the mound to home plate, so if you can eliminate 10 feet there, uh, make a pitch look identical to another pitch, a curveball to a fastball, or any other pitch for that matter, you've you've shortened the reaction time by about, uh, what, about 17%, essentially.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's just like uh, how this whole thing started with the Houston Astros. Beltran, he could not gear up on the fastball anymore. all they were trying to help him with is let him know a fastball was coming so he could get started his swing sooner. So that was kind of it. And, you know, predictability. And that's where they do analysis. My brother says they change the signs now. It used to be, hey, remember, touch your shirt, you're stealing, you know, or your skin or third touch or whatever. He says in baseball, they almost change the signs every inning. Hmm. Sometimes every other hitter. Guy gets on second base, they got to change it. And that's the thing I was talking about earlier about superintendents. And you got to change now. What you may have thought at 8 o'clock in the morning your dreams were like, the hell, at 12 o'clock you may go, oh, got to water. The wind came up or, or whatever happened. And that's, I, I think guys who can make quick adjustments, is really the people who are going to be the most successful in both sports.
0: You mentioned the playoffs a few minutes ago. Uh, you mentioned change just now and having success, these playoffs that are about to start are going to be unlike anything baseball has had before. 16 teams. There's never been more than 10 teams in a playoff before. Best of three first round, which we haven't had in, in many years. Then everything moved to neutral sites. The ALDS is moving into National League Parks. The NLDSs into American League Parks. And a neutral site World Series. So who knows what's going to happen but we know pretty much the teams that are going to be in, the 16 teams. Your brothers, Oakland A's, far and away in. Uh, they haven't quite wrapped up the division by the time we recorded this, but uh, they might as well have. The only question yeah, will be okay. if they get the, the top seed over the White Sox or the Rays. But what are your predictions for what happens over the next month well, in Texas and California?
1: the most the, – the and a free game – getting out of a three game series is up, because anybody in baseball, uh, that's that's the tough part. And save uh, Verlander gets healthy and comes back, or the ace of you guys for the Indians. You know, your number one guy was a Bieber,
0: Shane Bieber. Uh,
1: yeah, he can beat anybody. I I don't want to play the Cleveland Indians because they got a number one pitcher, and he can beat you in a three game series. And so. Oakland, that's what they're looking for. Montas, Lazaro has to to be on. Uh, Five or seven games pitching. The Oakland A's have a good – their fourth and third pitchers and fifth pitchers are really good. They're struggling to get that number one guy all the time. Verlander, what happens if he comes off the injury list they say he may? I wouldn't want to face him. So I think it's going to be very interesting who plays who and the number one pitchers on each team. Because on a three-game series, I think that's the most important series, obviously, but I think that's where baseball is going to change. and make. So you may say Cleveland uh, may get in and get farther because the number one guy is going to win the first game.
0: If you had to guess, though, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this. What do you think will happen, and then what do you want to have happen? Obviously the, uh, the A's are in, and, and they've got a shot here this year.
1: Yes, they do. Uh, you know, they lost Chapman, and they're a little hurt. They've got some good pickups. I think the White Sox are as good a hitting team as any, but I think they're young. I think experience is critical, so I, I don't think that they're going to do it. I, I tell you what. Tampa Bay, to me, is probably the team that beat the American League.
0: It would be something if, in this strangest of all years, it was some bizarre World Series like Tampa Bay, and I'm looking at the uh, – the NL standings here. What about the Marlins? Marlins, who've never won a division championship and yet have two World Series.
1: Yeah, they, they got a chance. Of course, I'm looking for um, the Orioles. Or the Orioles are not going to make the playoffs, but they had a good run. You know, they were at least competitive. Oakland's got a chance. But I think, you know, they that, that division, that the Minnesota Twins are another team that just... They, you know... It, They play that Oriole way, Minnesota Twins, Mm -hmm. and Tampa. They just play that way.
0: Maybe a few more homers than the Orioles that you grew up with. Yeah. But they're fundamentally sound.
1: Well, you know, uh, what I loved about the Orioles, and we talked about it, is they went out there and played, and their manager, Earl Weaver, it was like like the team against Earl, (laughs) you know? You know, he'd get them all fired up and he was not a baseball player, but he was one of, if you go back and look, he was, he had these two cards. He was well prepared and he knew what to do. And he and he believed in platooning. He's the first manager to platoon. John Lowenstein, you know when I heard of John Lowenstein, but he was our he'd play one day or Ron Renegade played the other day. The you know, left hander pitch, Rennegate. Etcher Baron, left handed catcher or excuse me, Hendricks left handed kid catcher, and Etchabaron was right-handed. And so I, I don't think we changed a lot. I think we just classify things different. So I'm, I think pitching is going to win the World Series, not offense. Defense wins, right? That's what we always believe in sports.
0: Always in the postseason.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think anything's going to change and, and to do that. Um, I think that uh, – That's why, you know, if Cleveland gets in, I I don't. I wouldn't want to. Like I said, I wouldn't want to play those guys.
0: Well, you're making me feel better about my own team than I feel about them right now after (laughs) a bunch of losses.
1: Yeah, but you, but you might as well lose now. Look how many, like you said, Miami won a World Series. They didn't play it. Who was that? There was an NFL football team that was had a terrible year, but got through the uh, Super Bowl. Was that the New York? Giants to think, beat New England that was undefeated.
0: I think the Giants had like a nine or ten win season, uh the year yeah. one of the years they beat the sixteen and 0 Patriots.
1: Yeah, I I just think you gotta get in. And then the three game series I think it helps the lower seeds. Sure. If it was three out of five, I think I, I believe the stronger team. So the fewer games you play, the more advantages to the uh six, seven, eight seeds versus one, two, and three. And then, like, NCAA basketball, there's always pressure on the higher seeds because of the expectations.
0: And single elimination, obviously, there in the dance. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I think I think you just got to see right now is who, who's hot, who's healthy, and go from there.
0: Well, Sean Emerson of Desert Mountain, always a pleasure to talk with you. Before I let you go, anything you want to plug or promote, anything you have going on,
1: you know, you know one thing. Then this is uh, one thing I've learned is help, help people. You know, I think that's one of the things. So, if you're a golf course superintendent or you're anybody out there and you're, it's not going as good as you want it to go, pick up the phone and call somebody. It's, we've all been there, and 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 good hitters get into a slump. Right in baseball, you'll get out of it. Believe in yourself. Uh, but it's always nice to have someone believe in you also. And that, I'll tell you what, when I'm in the down, I have a, quite a few people. Cal Roth is one of my mm-hmm. people that I call. Curtis Tyrell. I pick up the phone and call people, and I usually feel a lot better after talking to them because they've probably been there too. And if to anybody out there right now, I know the world's tough, and the coronavirus is tough on people, and budgets are tough on people hey, just pick up the phone. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be in a vacuum. And I think that's the same thing about baseball and and golf. You watch guys helping guys on the putting green, and they're going to go compete against them. And you do the same thing in baseball. Some of these guys, they have friends or other players on other teams that they'll call. And I think that that's important. So that's the only thing I would tell anybody out there.
0: That's the best non-plug advice uh, we might have ever had on this podcast. (laughs) Well,
1: it didn't come easy to me. Some of the best things I've done in my business came from
0: somebody else. Well, Sean, again, always a pleasure to talk with you. Safe travels up north, and hope your son has a couple of wins here this weekend.
1: Yeah, I do too. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know, and thanks for calling.
0: Yeah. Good to talk with you, and, and let's do it again before another year goes by.
1: All let right, right. Uh, I'll tell you what, if the A's win the World Series, I'll buy you dinner. If Cleveland wins the World Series, you have to buy me dinner. Okay.
0: If the, if the Indians win the World Series this year, I will buy you dinner for a week. I would be thrilled.
1: All right. <laughs> All right. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a cheap date. McDonald's is okay with me.
0: You can hold me to that. <laughs>
1: okay. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, guys.
0: My thanks again to Sean Emerson, director of agronomy at Desert Mountain in Scottsdale, Arizona, and, as is now so obvious, an enormous baseball fan. If my Indians cannot win the World Series next month, I hope his and his brother's Oakland A's do. My thanks, as always, to Aqua Solutions, the title sponsor of Off the Course, and of course to all of you for listening to Off the Course and all the rest of the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network, Greens with Envy, Beyond the Page, and the original Tartan Talks. Thanks to all of you for reading Golf Course Industry Magazine too, and for keeping the industry moving forward every day. We could not do what we do without you and your support. For Guy Cipriano and the rest of the crew here at Golf Course Industry Magazine and the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening.
1: Something magic happens every time you go. You make the magic happen. The magic of Orioles baseball when the game is close and the ovens are hot. There's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they got. And you never know who's gonna hear the call. Every king has a different star. That's the magic of boring.